You are listening to the Enormo Cast. So on each episode, I try to say something ridiculous to keep you listening to and considering the commercials on the Enormo Cast. For example, I might blithely mention that Hazel Findlay once brewed a cup of tea in her Black Diamond Mojo chalk bag using only herbs that she foraged from RP seams while on lead during the first female ascent of Once Upon a Time in the Southwest. But of course, these are flat-out fabrications, fake news if you will. But what's not a lie is that Black Diamond simply makes and sells great gear to keep you safe, warm, and dry, and feeling as slick as Bootsy Collins' middle finger on your next adventure. You need good gear, and the climbers at Black Diamond make good gear, and they have supported the Enormacast since nearly its inception. So please consider that next time you're about to throw down hard cash for that next prized piece of gear. Black Diamond is a proud supporter of the Enormacast. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having with you. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enorma Cast. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Enorma Cast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is September 19th, about 10.15 here in Colorado. That's the PM. It's almost always the PM when I do these things. This is episode 137 of the Enorma Cast, a conversation with boulderer and secret trad climber, hmm? Carlo Traversi. Carlo Denali Traversi, for those of you paying attention. And I don't have much news to tell you. You know, I'm just sitting here, late night, talking into a microphone. The normal baby's sleeping. Baby mama's sleeping. I have to, I have to wait to late at night because it's, it's still embarrassing to be sitting here talking to this kind of imaginary audience, you guys out there. And so I don't like to have anybody around. Plus, obviously, I don't like have background noise either. But I've been thinking about this Facebook post that I saw, somebody had mentioned how uh, they like listening to the old episodes because it kind of revealed how bored and tired I sound now compared to back then. And, uh, you know, it was funny because it was true. Not that I'm bored, but boy, sometimes when I do these things, I am tired. I've been hanging out with the normal baby all damn day. Putting that together, gets home, we get the house cleaned up, get him to bed. You know, I've got some other work that I do to try to make ends meet, and then uh, I make the Enormacast. I will take issue with the comment that I sound bored. I am not bored with the Enormacast. This thing continues to surprise me with its reach, with the positive sort of energy it gets. Talked to several people at the No Man's Land Film Festival this weekend who were inspired to do their own creative work by stuff that they listen to on the Enormacast. So, no, not bored. Yes, sometimes tired. Man, I sometimes think about what this thing could have been like if 
I'd have had it in 1990, you know, or 1995 when I was on the road a lot, climbing, doing whatever I wanted to. This, this would have been an amazing hustle to stay on the road. Could have been easily done on the road in a van, except for the problem that the internet didn't really exist. So it fell into my lap later in life, and now I just have to deal with it. Deal with all the other stuff that goes on, and still pumping out two episodes a month. But the moral of the story is, wouldn't be doing it if you guys weren't listening. None of it would work. I really would be just talking to the wall, just screaming at the wall. So there, that was a bit of an old school one, wasn't it? Getting some stuff off my chest. Anyway, let's get to that interview with Carlo Traversi. This was a cool one because it was more than I expected. And I'm getting better at just leaving my preconceived notions at the door because I've learned through this thing that you uh, you don't really know what you're going to get when you sit down with some of these folks, which is why it's entertaining, right? And it's sort of a complaint that Carlo had at the end of the podcast where he talked about people kind of deciding who he is before they'd ever met him. I don't think I went that far, but I did have a notion, you know, bolderer, you know how I feel about that. I don't feel a good connection to those people, so I have to kind of fill in the gaps a little bit in my mind. But again, getting better at leaving that at the door, and it was a fun and surprising interview with Carlo, and I hope you guys enjoy it too. Rock climber, Carlo Traversi. And now I'm going to bed. No, wait, got to record a commercial too. To quote old headless Ned Stark, winter is coming, and you know what that means. Yes, it's time to unblock the number of that buddy who was still calling you to climb ice in June last summer and give in to your desire to scream and barf at the same time. Yes, ice climbing season is upon us, and though your fingers are destined to be both frozen and burning at the same time, your feet don't have to suffer so. Sportiva has a full line of big mountain boots, technical ice climbing boots, and boots that do nearly everything you'd want in the cold, cold mountains, short of apologizing for carrying you up there in the first place. So, if you must bash your feet against ice and snow, then check out Sportiva.com or your nearest high-end outdoor retailer for ridiculously well-made mountain boots, including such legends as the Spantic and the Trango Cube GTX. And remember, when you support Sportiva, you support the Normalcast. Anyway, but uh, but yeah, I did find out online in my five minutes of, of research of research that your middle name is Denali. Is there anything uh, important about that in terms of climbing? Uh, not necessarily important. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents lived in Alaska for okay. two and a half, three years okay. um, before I was born. Uh-huh. And my dad was really into mountaineering, um, not because he did any mountaineering, but uh, he was just inspired by mountaineers and mm-hmm. um, being at you know the, the base of the Alaska Range, living in Anchorage and whatnot. They were um, uh, just inspired by it, and uh, and so I, for whatever reason they decided that that should be my middle name. <laughs> um, and it's kind of funny because I mean I don't know I didn't really know much. I didn't really know anything of it, obviously, like as a kid, but um, by them giving me the name Denali, I was interest. I became interested in um, the mountain mm-hmm. and in Alaska and eventually um, started reading a lot of the old mountaineering books that my dad had about the mountain and about um, 
you know, specific ascents of the mountain. Um, one of the books that I remember most was uh, Minus 148, which is a, uh, uh, it, it was the first winter ascent uh, of Denali. T- t- what was the guy's name? Tay- Art Davidson. Oh, Art Davidson. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking there's another dude that did a bunch of winter stuff up there. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, Art so Davidson. the book was about, and I, I think I read, the book was about the first winter ascent of Denali or whatever, and mm-hmm. it was temperatures reached negative uh, 148 right. when they were on the ascent. And um, I, I did a book report on that book in third grade. Uh-huh. Um, and this was before I was a climber. Um, I grew up in uh, Northern California um, and and I was into more traditional sports as a kid. Um, I was half decent at most traditional sports and whatnot, so um, I didn't have a reason to really stray from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always kind of like liked that extreme mountain idea. And I think once you read enough of those books, you kind of start to get an understanding of the culture. You start to get inspired by it. And um, I, I think I even from an early age, I kind of had that drive to like be in the mountains and, and to, you know, you know, climb the highest things that were around or whatnot to kind of see what was right. out there and things. And was your, uh, and your dad encouraging to this kind of, or were not, you guys outdoors people at all? I mean, we went camping and right, stuff like yeah. that. We were, we weren't not outdoors people. Uh-huh. I wouldn't say we were like super outdoorsy. We didn't go on like crazy trips mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, my parents were back, they liked to go backpacking and, sure. and we did stuff like uh-huh. that, but it wasn't like a ton of it. Um, I would say, um, but, uh, as I, you know, as I progressed through school and whatnot and got into high school, um, uh, the individual or individual sto- sports started to become more appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, team sports, I was always got really bummed out by getting let down by like teammates and whatnot and other sports or, or even just having to deal with weird team environments and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I just wasn't as into it. And a friend took me climbing and I feel like that history of reading mountaineering books and then finally going climbing, um, it all kind of clicked at one point. Uh-huh. I was just like, well, I really like this for, for all these other reasons, not just for the activity. Um, and it was funny cause I, I kind of sucked at climbing the start. Like I was, I was pretty shitty. Really? Like, yeah. I was like, was it like this kid that just showed up and was like, like, you know, like just killing it right well, away. Like I that, sucked that's ass. The, that's like, the normal story. Exactly. Like, like that's, I was like really good at it. No, nah, man. Like, I was like sloppy ass technique. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't a natural climber at that you know especially at like a young age or whatever Mm -hmm. and I would say that I was much much better at like soccer or basketball or baseball than I was at climbing which Mm -hmm. was kind of odd for me to be like just going like wanting to go climbing all the time but I was just drawn to it because I enjoyed the activity more than the other things even though I was better probably at other sports and whatnot Um, I was in highly competitive soccer as a kid Um, and I I could have taken that to a really really high level Um, had the potential to but um, um, like I said, like I didn't like the politics of, of team sports um, and climbing just resonated better with me in that uh-huh. way because I think of reading all those books when I was a kid. So, Well, yeah, and, and there's a, a common kind of thread as I've done a lot of these that, but more a little bit towards my generation of the person who was drawn to climbing actually, you know, had the same feelings about these team sports or yeah. these ideas, but oftentimes they also weren't very good at them and they found themselves to be good at climbing. Uh, so it's interesting to hear, you know, the opposite where you were actually yeah. a really good athlete in these other sports and, yeah. and found yourself kind of a bumbler on the climbing. But, totally. you know, maybe the, the type of athleticism was kind of 
misinforming you about how to work your body on in totally. that environment. Yeah, and, and, and that was definitely true. I right. think I, I approached it, you know, with a strength aspect and uh-huh. tried to pull my way to the top and that ultimately wasn't the easiest way to do mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to learn the techniques to, to be a better climber and whatnot. Right. But um, I mean from from day one I was just obsessed and, and I think obsession will lead you if you're decently athletic to be able to adjust and, and get better at climbing um, sure. because of that. So, um, I mean, it wasn't like I didn't progress quickly, but compared to kids nowadays, like it was a pretty slow progression, right. you know, like it wasn't like right away or anything like but that. But it was enough of this, just this thing that you yeah, it just couldn't get enough me, of man. that. I, 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 you could handle like kind of yeah. not being great at it out, out of the gates. Cause I could, I could see someone who was like, again, if you were really, you know, excellent at your other sports or at soccer and, and expected those kind of maybe even accolades or whatnot. Yeah. To, it might shut somebody down to not. And I know it does. I mean, I know it does for people where they, if they're not good at something, they, some people Shuts can just down. shy away yeah. from it and stay in their comfort zones. So. Totally. Totally. But it just pulled you in. Yeah, and it was weird. Like, it wasn't, I don't remember thinking that, like, oh, because it's challenging, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. It just was, like, the pure style of the activity and kind of the culture of it and kind of the freedom of it Mm -hmm. was, like, really resonated with me. It was like, wow, I can really, like, achieve things. You know, I can can climb these things that seem impossible, you know? Um, And I don't know, just something about the culture of it, the community Mm -hmm. in California there at the local gym um, was, was... pretty inviting to me um, and it was kind of this like counterculture thing I kind of liked having an identity that was really different from everyone else in right. school and whatnot right. and I liked that fact you know sure. I liked that it was it's not like that anymore like for kids you know there's so many kids on youth teams nowadays that their identity is still wrapped up in the same kind of team element um, mm-hmm. when they're getting going but when I started I was like the freak at my high school that was like people are like why the hell do you climb rocks you know and like I mean I know a lot of us that have been climbing for a long time dealt with that at some point in their mm-hmm. life um, mm-hmm. Uh, so I wasn't alone in that, but in my community and in, in the world that I came from, it was really weird to be doing. Well, that. yeah, but then you had to be that kind of kid. You did. Who was like, you know, you you almost could probably create this thing about like, well, you know, make fun of me all you want or think I'm weird, but you don't know. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't know, and that's I mean, because like uh, I just right off the top of my head, like think about Colin Haley, who's you know climbing up in the Northwest. He said the same thing. He would come back on the weekends after weekends of climbing, and he was climbing you yeah. know these big burly like endurance things, and then show yeah, up yeah, at yeah. six you know seven thirty or eight o'clock in the morning in high school and just be like. You, what did you guys do this weekend? Like exactly. hang out and listen to music or whatever. You exactly, know? Like, exactly. But um, how old are you? Uh, twenty nine. I 29. just turned twenty nine last yeah. week. Actually. So it's funny that you say that. Uh, you know that it's changed because I think like you know you're at, at an age of you know that was the cusp of all this as well, and maybe in another part of the country or wherever those teams and things were already cranking up. True. But, but yeah. it's like yeah, it's kind of like it seems like that age might have been. Um, you know, when that stuff wasn't quite here, but it was really just on the horizon. Yeah, it was like maybe the last generation that mm-hmm. experienced that to some degree. And who, who was, when you said there was like a, a community at the gym, um, who were some of your cohorts? Uh, was there anybody else that's come off to, to continue climbing and, and climb with you? Or, or uh, uh, I mean, is the, it mostly that you've moved away and, and moved on? 
Uh, I mean, I've moved out of there, but uh, I mean, and haven't been in in Santa Rosa or whatever for um, a number of years, um, probably 11 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I go back and visit and whatnot. But I mean, one of the first people that I started climbing with was Kevin Jorgensen. Right. Um, And he's one of the first people that um, I looked up to at the local gym or whatever. Um, I remember seeing him climbing at the gym in the first, you know, uh, few months that I was climbing and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say that he was necessarily like like a coach or a mentor or something like that, but he was someone that climbed in the gym that was really good. That, you know, you, we, like as I was growing up, it was kind of like, oh, he's, he's the good climber at the gym, you know, and someone that you kind of like, right. you know, you kind of followed his, his trajectory in a way. So. so when you say that you were kind of crummy at start yeah. and then progressed pretty quickly, and that was due to, the, to being able to climb in the gym? Um, yeah, for or, sure. Or was there another path? Or was there other, other ways to kind of get better and and the other question I guess is you know did you just throw yourself at it or 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 did you have an idea of like this is what I I suck at and this is what I have to get better at or were you just like taking it all in uh I I didn't have like the intention I was just felt Mm -hmm. obsessed with the activity of climbing Mm -hmm. and uh when I picked up climbing the the summer that I picked it up when I was I turned 14 and started climbing, um, my parents had gotten divorced that mm-hmm. summer. Okay. And um, my dad basically traveled um, for work every week um, during my whole upbringing. Um, mm-hmm. And he would only be home on the weekends. And when they got uh, divorced, my parents got divorced, my dad had my brother and I uh, half the time. And so that meant that he was um, with us all week and through the weekends and stuff like that. And that summer that they split up, um, my dad didn't know what to do with us during the week, basically. Because he had to work and he would work from home or had an office around. Um, And he had had no idea what to do with us. So when he found out that my brother and I, um, because I started climbing with my brother, basically. When he found out that we were really stoked on going rock climbing, he just bought us a year membership, each of us at the gym. And every day at like 9 a.m., he would drop us off at the gym. And he'd pick us up at like five or six o'clock at night when he was done working. Uh-huh. And we basically lived at the gym for three months, like yeah. straight up. He'd give us like <laughs> 10 bucks for lunch right. and we'd walk down the street to the gas station and, and get food and then go back to the gym. And, and that was our life for the first three months. And, and we were absolutely obsessive about it. I mean, we literally would climb for eight hours a mm-hmm. day for three months straight. Mm-hmm. And then when school started, you know, the, the seed of obsession was already there. Sure. And, and, you know, we would try and be in the gym as much as possible, even when school was going on. And, and it just kind of grew roof from there and I think my dad had a really hard time once he realized how obsessed we were because um, I, I don't think he, he he wanted us to be like necessarily climbers or into the climbing activity right away like it was kind of this weird foreign thing to him and uh, uh, he didn't see it as like this trajectory towards success in life to be like a dirtbag climber basically. Sure yeah it's, um, it's, it's kind of not. It's kind of not exactly <laughs> and it's still not quite um, I mean but, in traditional yeah, success yeah, yeah, in the anyway. traditional success yeah, right. and he comes from a, a business background and um, kind of built himself up from nothing with education and and through the business world and just working his ass off there. So it was a totally different way of looking at things. And and I, I don't remember ever having the per- perception at that time of being like, this is what I want to be doing. It was right. more just like, 
I, I love going rock climbing right. and I'm going to try and go rock climbing as much as I possibly can because I just love doing mm-hmm. it and being there and at the gym. And, and we climbed outside too, like during the summers and during breaks off and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I climbed a lot in Bishop and in Tahoe and in Yosemite. Um, some of my first, you know, leads were in Yosemite on like old trad routes and stuff like that. So um, I'd say some of the first 510s and 511s I did were leading trad in Yosemite. Right. Um, which is funny because most people know me as a boulderer, but... Sure. I started off like, and I bouldered, I just bouldered, I sport climbed, I did everything. I just loved climbing, but I had a lot of friends that were older and they were like totally into moderate trad in the valley. So I would, they would take me out to the valley and go climb moderate trad. So the, the coincidence or the, it's not a coincidence, sorry, the, the circumstance of you climbing and this divorce that ended up sticking you in the gym, yeah. was that a emotional I mean, in terms of the way your brother and you dealt with it, it was a super heavy. Yeah, it was heavy you know, times. Heavy time. I don't know if my brother and I would look back at it and think about it that way, right. but I think in re- like, well, at the time we didn't think about it that mm-hmm. way. In retrospect, probably was. You know, I mean, it's it's your life is getting tipped all upside down. You know, mm-hmm. your your family device is being torn apart, and and and, and it's going through a restructuring mm-hmm. of, of you understanding what your family is and. And, and, and how that operates and whatnot. And I think that the climbing community provided uh, like a stable family environment um, in that way. Like th- there was a lot of really cool people at the gym and a lot of people that, that their lifestyle resonated with me as a kid, kind of rebellious, but um, you know, they were pretty dialed in people. They all had regular jobs and whatnot, but they're all total weekend warriors and they were really stoked on climbing and finding an activity with those people that that, that meshed with what I like to do and then having this kind of cool family community, um, w- it was kind of perfect timing for me. Cause yeah, I that's like kind I of what that. I was asking, I guess. Yeah. And not to like, like do some pop psychology. But, <laughs> exactly. But you just, just said something I was, you, well, you just, you know, this is like half Oprah, Dr. Phil, whatever. <laughs> but what you said just a second ago was a question I was going to ask you, which is that, you know, did, was there like a little community created for you yeah. at the gym? And maybe it had nothing to do with that, the divorce, or maybe it would have happened anyway. But, you know, I just think about, like, kids, you know, especially if if you were, like, super amped and and a lot of the people at that time at the gym were older climbers because I've mentioned this before and is climbing was a, a, uh, an adult activity up until the last 15 years or so. You know, so uh, I talked to kids, people who started young that are your age and older, they, they had to then get into this community with older people. It was, yeah. And all, so, all of my climbing partners were, you know, you know mid-20s to into their 40s. You yeah. know? I, like, I was one of the only kids climbing at the gym consistently. And I think it was weird for the community because they're like, who are these little kids? Well, and then also around? they're yeah. just like, they're going to be super cool to you guys. And totally. like, you know, see every day. And yep. if you were like the rug, yeah. the gym rats that were showing up nine every single day, yeah. I'm sure they were like, just you were the mascots, you yeah. know, of yeah, the whole exactly. place. And then that thing you said about rebellion is interesting, too, because it is a type of subculture and it is a type of rebellion. But it's also like kind of, or it can usually be a pretty healthy one. It is. It's like yeah. a weird, we're not rebellious in, in that we're, we're going out and doing bad things. No, but we're rebellious yeah. in the sense that we're a little counterculture to, yeah. to these ideas of what success means and what. Yeah. Um, so it's like you got 
like you got just the right taste of rebellion. Yeah. If you'd exactly. walked past the gym and like gone in the alley, you might have gotten a different type exactly. of rebellion that could have taken you like a completely different direction. Yeah, it was like rebellious in a in a in a positive way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which exactly. I think was really cool. Right. So, so it was a good way to Yeah, come it on. does seem like the nexus of those two things happening might have been really important in retrospect. It was. It was yeah. really important for my development as a person too. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I definitely developed as a person at that time through climbing and through the climbing world you mm-hmm. know? and through um, these people that I viewed as mentors. And, and there was a lot of them. It wasn't just one or two people at the gym. It was mm-hmm. a variety of people that were older that I climbed with that all served as mentors in some capacity as I was growing up. So. When did you start to think about this you know, as a direction for your life or, or, or a life goal to stay with this? You know, because I, I could, you know, we're all just like casting around in high school for what we're going to be, what we're going to yeah. do. Um, some people think of it earlier than others. Yeah. Um, and so I can imagine that climbing might have been this sort of place marker thing that you had in high school. But, yeah. you know, n- not really this view of like, well, I could be a pro climber. I could be a yeah. careerist. But, but maybe so. Like, when did you start to think about that? in terms of what you were going to maybe do with your life in terms of that choice. Yeah, I mean, growing up in in, in high school, the idea of being a pro climber wasn't really an option or a possibility. It's certainly not something that you say to your parents. That's, you know, for sure. (laughs) But um, even I, I remember my mentality of leaving high school was, I mean, I wasn't that good of a climber then anyways, you know, I mean, I, I was, I had gotten fairly strong, but in, in the whole scheme of things, it wasn't like, the like, I'm good enough to, to do this, you know what I mean? I didn't feel that way. I just was like, I really like doing this activity. I don't like this school shit. And when I get out of here, I, I, I kind of want to just be able to go climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I didn't really allow myself to, to make that decision because, you know, obviously my parents had a lot of sway over what I was going to be doing after I left high school. Um, uh, I mean, I knew how to work. I had a job at the gym. I was root setting at the gym through high school pretty quickly. So I was always working and things like that. But, you know, the idea all along was that my parents always felt like as a parent, they weren't going to be successful unless I went and did college. Right. Know? Yeah. No, that's um, super typical. Of, which is typical and totally yeah, understanding. Right. So, you know, the idea was that I would go to you know college right after I got out of high school, um, and it's funny because I feel like I kind of bailed on school before high school even ended. This is kind of like a funny story, but um, I did independent study PE in high school so that uh-huh. I could get out early and go climbing um, the last two years of high school. And the independent study was for rock climbing, um, which is kind of funny. So I had like a coach, a coach that was like a good friend or whatever that would sign off the paperwork and everything. But I was supposed to be writing reports all through high school to like, <laughs> you know, to like do some of the study aspect How'd of it. How'd that go? Didn't How'd do your any reports of it. Yeah, didn't do any. Still got those on a, a, reports, on a floppy but, disk somewhere? Yeah, right. <laughs> I think I did a few reports, but um, I basically failed PE technically <laughs> for two years. Um, and then right before the six months before I was supposed to graduate, the counselor at the high school school brought me into a room. Like, hey, guess like, what? You're not graduating. Hey, guess what? You're not going to graduate because you didn't qualify. I was a high school P- teacher. You know that, right? Credits. So oh, I, no, I know, know this whole story and, <laughs> yeah. and, and kind of. So keep going. Sorry. So I hatched up this plan to basically be like, okay, in the process of learning that I wasn't going to graduate from high school, um, somebody I knew told me about Knowles, the National Outdoor uh-huh. Leadership School. And they were like, hey, what if you did Knowles for the last semester of high school and you get basically college credits for education credits for it? And then you can also qualify for, for PE credits for it because it's like an, like an outdoor activity and mm-hmm. like all this stuff. So I went to my counselor and she's like, I, I think I can work this out for you. Um, so 
fortunately, my parents were, were stoked because they're like, well, yeah, he disappears and does whatever and is not actually in school, but at least he graduates. I mean, right, the best yeah. thing you can possibly do is at least just get like a get get the diploma so he can go to go to college, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so I went on a semester in the Rockies, and this was the first time I'd really traveled and climbed much out of California. Okay. Um, and, and, and really adventured on my own outside of the state. Um, and I went to, we did uh, backpacking in the Canyonlands for three weeks, and then um, did a, a river section on the Green River with like uh, kayaking, uh, uh, canoeing, and rafting and whatnot. And then we did a climbing section in the house range in, um, in Utah. Um, out near Ibex, and then we also bouldered in Ibex, and then I was actually able to boulder like a V10, like on the course or whatever, which they said is the only person that's ever bouldered basically V10 on like a Knowles course. Which <laughs> I, I would thought imagine. was pretty hilarious. I, thought, like, I would imagine that. that that's yeah. pretty uncommon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it kind of exposed me to a little bit more of a dirtbag lifestyle in that way too, because we learned how to. We basically camped outside for three months and, mm-hmm. and never. Um, I didn't shower for three months straight, like, and just kind of like learned living on a thermorest in a sleeping bag like wherever was was pretty damn awesome Mm -hmm. and and i didn't really need to have a house and i kind of liked that lifestyle um and when i was done with that i came back on my diploma i didn't even go to my high school graduation Mm -hmm. i like went climbing at donner summit and i did a boulder problem in my cap and gown and just sent it to my mom and it's like here's the graduation photo (laughs) like i mean i was just obsessed you know i just like kept rolling with it but um, following that, I went to uh, I went to Boulder for college. Okay, uh, I got in to see you. Okay, um, and I went there for a year, and I wouldn't say I like failed out, but I, I basically wasn't going to class at all. As sure. You can imagine someone that hasn't like climbed much out of California and was obsessed with climbing um, and being sunk into the the Boulder climbing scene or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I just went climbing a shit ton, um, and I bailed on school uh, after the first year, um, and. That was a really hard decision for me because my parents had been supporting me um, to be able to go to college and whatnot and paying for that and paying for living expenses so I didn't have to work and stuff. Right. And the deal was that if I kept going to college, that support system was still there. And if, if I quit college, then that support system was stripped away entirely, um, which was a hard decision for me. It's either you pick what you really want to be doing and it's going to be a struggle or you stick with this path that's laid out in front of you and, and everything is a little bit more cushy. And, uh, and I mean, I, I took obviously the, the non-cushy path. Right. So, and it was, it was real deal. It wasn't like a, like a, Oh, you're cut off, but you know, we'll kind of like help you out a little here and there. It was like, it was like full cut off. Uh-huh. It was like, you can come home for the summer for two months. You're going to be working and like, paying rent at the house uh like a little bit and uh after two months of living at home you need to get your own apartment and you need to be out of the house basically right. so i wasn't welcome back home um in the same way and i think that having that was basically like i'm on my own here you mm-hmm. know like this isn't i need to figure out my own thing and do my own stuff who were you living with primarily during when you were in high school like, uh i, for, for I like the high off. school days I switched off between my mom and my dad's house. So, so a week at okay. my mom's. Week okay, my so it's like and half and half. Half and half. So nobody had sort of, because a lot of times one one parent ends up being the kind of the school parent. Yeah. But but it was a, it was sort of a mix. It was a mix. And so were these were your folks pretty um, united in in you know the yeah. go to college plan? Yep. And pretty united in the disappointment of yeah. you not going to college. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the minute it, I quit college, they were really upset. And I think right. they thought by cutting that support off and me struggling to survive that it would that drive you, me back in. Sure, um, sure. And um, 
I've still only done one year of college. Okay. But, <laughs> but you know, in terms of them being, like, disappointed or, or yeah. whatever, was it, like, fireworks, like, you know, you're dead to me, we're, we're done with no. you, or just basically, like, we think you're making a terrible decision, and guess what? We're gonna, you know, if you're going to make the decision, you're making it, and, and, yeah. you're, and we're going to help you along by... They've always been yeah. there in terms of emotional good. support. Okay, good. That's it wasn't kind of like they asking. ripped the, didn't wanna... the rug out entirely from right, me. It was, right. it was more the financial yeah. rug, but not an emotional mm-hmm. rug. But I mean, they've it's never. Time to go. They, they, for early years, they were never really that stoked on me being a climber, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they supported certain aspects of it. Like if I went to competitions and stuff, mm-hmm. they could understand that structure of things. Mm-hmm. But just going out dirtbag climbing. And, and like just living out in the dirt and spending my time in these climbing areas just seemed like a completely ridiculous waste of time in life. To them. Sure. And, and they just didn't understand that. Right. Um, at least right away. Right away. And I think it took them a really long time to understand that this was something that I really enjoyed doing. This is what I was passionate about. And, um, and that that had to be okay at some point, you know? And it, it took a long time. I mean, it was only a few years ago that, that you know, my mom stopped asking me, like, when are you going to, like, finally get your shit together and right. start doing something, you right. know? Which is which sucks when you, like, really feel like you're being successful in a sport, especially when, you know, I started getting sponsors and things like that. And I felt like I was being somewhat successful, you know sure. what I mean? But then your parents are still just like, when are you going to quit this, this, this bullshit and this get your stuff thing. together, right, you right. know? It's not so it's kind of like to go to law school like, or whatever. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, it I mean, isn't, but... Um, it isn't, yeah. <laughs> so when you're, so you're cut out, you're on your own, yeah. and you, you, did you stay in Boulder? I, I went back to... Uh, I mean, you went back I, for, I went back for to, a couple months. For a couple months. Yeah. Um, I, I put an ad on Craigslist that said, basically, 20 bucks, I'll do any sort of like like manual labor you want me to do. So mm-hmm. I'd go weed back people's yards. I'd help them move. I would do like, I'd dig ditches, paint houses, do all sorts of shit. Till I saved up enough money to basically drive back out to Colorado okay. and keep climbing. Um, I was just psyched on the climbing in Colorado. It was kind of the cutting edge of bouldering at the time. And I was really getting into bouldering and bouldering hard. Um, and um, I was climbing with a, the crew of people out there that were that were really into bouldering, and mm-hmm. that's kind of the crew that I resonated with. And so, for me, it was like as soon as I could get back out there and continue the work that I had done, the the climbing work that I had done um, while I was in college, the better. So right. I ended up, I, yeah, I saved up as much money as I could, did a bunch of odd jobs, um, and and moved back out there. But moving back out there wasn't like, hey, you're going to get a, like an apartment or something like that. It was like I had just enough money to basically – my brother and I got in the car with like 1000 bucks each. And we, we lived in, our, in the car, both of us, in a Honda CRV in Estes Park for uh, about three months one summer, climbing in, in Rocky every day. Um, and, I mean, eating literally we, – we bought like five dozen eggs at Costco, and they just sat in the back of the car for like the whole summer, you know, <laughs> like just in the back. You know, it's like who knows if some of these are going to be a little cooked by the time right. we get back to the car or whatever. We'd have a bunch of ramen, and, mm-hmm. and we just dirtbagged it. We just lived out of the back of the car, you know, and like kind of move parking lots around to make sure that we weren't getting caught, you know, and like dealing with law enforcement and stuff like Is that. Is he older or younger? He's two years younger. Okay. So, and which so- you can imagine a 16-year-old kid with an 18-year-old kid living out of a car and, and asked to spark, you know, just like, I don't, I'm parents, I feel like at that point, it kind of just been like, whatever, at That's least. That's awesome, like, yeah. actually. I mean, they were, it was cool that they let us do that for the, for the time being, but yeah. I don't know if they knew exactly what the reality of the situation was. But They just let you take your brother out yeah, there. Yeah, he did for, for, for the whole summer. Rat. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then he went back to school? Uh, yeah, and then he went back to high school. Like, okay. After that, so. <laughs> Man, he must have some great stories to tell when he got home. Oh, yeah. He had but, some good stories, for sure. We, we, we had a lot of good times, for sure, on the road and traveling mm-hmm. and meeting a ton of cool people and, and just connecting with the climbing community. Right. And that was the family, you know? It was like who you met at the crag or at the boulders and stuff like that. So. Yeah, so, man, this is like, God, you're only 18 at this point. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and this is it. You're on your own. I'm on my own. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I, I ended up um, getting a restaurant job in Boulder as the fall came and, uh, and moved into a place in Boulder um, and had a restaurant job there for six months before I got fired um, because I got really, really sick. And it was actually fortunate because right around that time, I got fired, I was starting to look for another job because I didn't have any money to pay rent. Actually, one funny aside is that I was out in Colorado at the end of that summer and um, I completely ran out of money at the end of the summer. And before Mm -hmm. I got the restaurant job, I was like, I just want to come home. And my brother had flown home for high school or whatever. um, And I had zero money. I remember looking at my bank account. I had 72 cents left Mm -hmm. and like no credit cards, no anything. That was just what I had. And I just remember being parked like outside of a friend's house and just being Like. like, I can't, gauge yeah, like, I actually can't go anywhere. Like right. I can't do anything. I can't eat. I can't. And, uh, and it was just like a weird moment that I had, or I was just like, I gotta like figure out how I'm going to survive and stay here. And it became like a survival mechanism. And I did odd job. I'd found some odd jobs. I worked for a temp agency for a little while mm-hmm. and would put me to work at random bullshit for like minimum wage. And, um, and then I got a restaurant job, which helped me get going. And then when I got fired from the restaurant job, I, found a job at the spot and started root setting again at the spot. And that kind of connected me even further with the climbing community in Boulder and allowed me to have something stable, mm-hmm. even though it was only a couple days a week of work, but it was enough to survive and to pay rent and to um, go on a couple little trips here and there and, uh, and just get stronger climbing the gym. And so that was kind of the, when that switch got thrown in yeah. terms of like, I'm going to, you know, here I am in this facility and I can like really get get strong. Yeah, maybe, for sure. And like, I mean, I, I, I got my first sponsorship through 510 when I was 18. So the summer before, mm-hmm. um, and I started to really see it as a potential avenue for success. I'd won a couple comps, um, local comps and made some money doing that. And I don't know, I just, maybe it was totally irrational, like my desire to keep doing it. Cause I, I don't remember really even thinking about it as like a, an option to still be a professional climber to make enough money at that time. But it, I was like, I'm going to keep doing this and keep working in the climbing world and try and just progress within the climbing world as much mm-hmm. as I can, whether that's in route setting or in climbing full time or whatever that could be, you know? And it was never like the grand goal was to be a professional climber. Like I never had that all along. It just came to the point one time where I was being supported enough that I could stop working right. and do the things that I wanted to do. It was, and it wasn't like this, this like, oh my God, like it's here, the moment, like right. I made it, you know? It was like this very, very slow transition into that where I was started doing video work for Deadpoint magazine. I started doing photo, I started selling photos of, of friends and stuff like that to magazines and, and, and started being able to patch together an income, not necessarily just from climbing and sponsorships, but from a variety of different things in the climbing world that got to the point where I could, you know, I could stop, you know, having like a, a solid, you know, weekly job or whatever and, and right. be able to climb more full time. Right. So. so let's talk a little bit about your climbing at some point when you were younger, you were climbing all these different things. There was gym climbing was kind of the, the cornerstone, but like a lot of climbers, you, you, that was sort of what you did before you could go outside or, um, 
and you involved yourself with track climbing because they were taking you to do that and probably sport climbing and probably bouldering. And so what is it do you think about bouldering? Because you said, just like you said, that's where, where you've made your name in a sense. Yes. Um, and it's also what drew you back to Boulder, Colorado. So what is it about bouldering you think that is, you know, drew you to the point where at some point you probably had to kind of give up everything else and be this boulderer if yeah. you were going to become as good as you've become. Um, whether that's still the case, we'll get to that. But yeah, uh, yeah. but there had to have been an era where, like, this is what I'm doing yeah. only. Um, I mean, it's easy to follow things that you're finding ha- you're having a lot of success in. Okay. You know? And when I moved to Boulder, the cool thing to do for people my age mm-hmm. was to be bouldering. Mm-hmm. Um, so climbing with you know people like Daniel Woods and, and others that lived in Boulder, um, I climbed with those guys a lot. Um, I climbed with you know a lot of like John Cardwell when he was in Boulder and, and early on, and, and those people I climbed with a ton, or, you know, in, in my early days in Boulder, and we all bouldered a lot. And that's just what the cool thing to do was. And it was, it was kind of this cool golden era of bouldering in Colorado as well, where there was a ton of hard development being done, like V14s, some V15s getting put up. And it was kind of the start of that, like really difficult development in bouldering. And I found myself at that line where I could be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's addicting to be a part of. And it's, it's really cool to be a part of that development. Um, whereas I didn't see that development happening in sport climbing or trad climbing at the time, at least in Colorado. And that's not that it wasn't happening. It's just that it wasn't happening within my community that I was associated with, with the younger generation of climbers. Yeah, it kind of wasn't happening. Yeah. You know, I mean, not even happening. Yeah. I mean, it's always happening in terms of progression, but yeah, but you're right. You, you, you hit that sweet spot, particularly of, of the climbing in the park. And yeah, there was no like brand new sport climbing area that someone just found or brand new, like, you know, wall of like 500 sweet cracks that somebody just found. Exactly. So the track climbing, it's always been developing, but, but you hit this moment of, of that, of kind of finding. Yeah. And there's going to be someone who bouldered there in like 1991 that said, we found it, but totally, totally. I'm saying like no, it became a place to go and to develop. It was develop a feverish pace of yeah, development exactly. at that time. Yeah, it wasn't right. that it was new. It mm-hmm. just that it, that was the time. It was the golden age of development mm-hmm. within it. It wasn't right. like these are like totally new areas that we're finding, but it was, we had the capability and the strength to make massive, you know, leaps and progression in bouldering within those zones. And, and, Colorado has really good hard bouldering. I mean, it it doesn't even have that good of moderate bouldering. Like, I'd say the best bouldering you can do in Colorado is typically on the harder end of the scale, like V10 and up. Um, I, I think there's a plenty of other areas to go to, you know, that have much better easy climbing. So, mm-hmm. But it was a good place to be for that. Um, and it wasn't a conscious effort to be like, I'm going to do bouldering now. It was just right. like, I just got sucked into it, you know? Sure. And I think it took a couple years before I finally, like, kind of, like, was able to kind of find my way out of it in a lot of ways because I, I wasn't it, it's not like I just loved bouldering and that's all I ever wanted to do I, I still went trad climbing occasionally I still went sport climbing occasionally I did a couple trips to rifle here and there um, you know I, I climbed trad like when I would go back home and climb in Yosemite and whatnot and um, I still did some of that but the the 90% of the focus was on bouldering so. mm-hmm. well it seems like that you're at the right age because what are you like early early 20s now now i mean sorry (laughs) then are you early early 20s during that time yeah yeah yeah. i mean watching it again i you know as the the older guy you're right it was the cool thing to do 
and which basically, you know, that just automatically like leaves people like me out of it in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, like, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So, but but as someone who's observed it and watched it uh, change so much, because bouldering, what, what bouldering meant, you know, in my twenties to what it means now is it's a completely different sport. Yeah. To watch it change, and I could just see how that type of social situation too, the kind of the competitiveness that's in it, mm-hmm. I think, for better and worse, mm-hmm. you know, but would really appeal to uh, like a 20, yep. you know, a guy that you would have been in college if you'd have gone to college yeah, and you'd have been finding it in probably sports and things and like within college. But yeah, yeah, yeah. just, it just went talking to you and, and listening to the fact that you started when you're 18 or like when you moved to Boulder, you're 18 and and how you got sucked into it, it's like, yeah, I can really see how it's very appealing to a certain type of, it is, you know, 20 sure. something, because you've got your, you know, it's a lot of social time that bouldering is, you yeah. know? It's not this up in the wind in your hair, alone on the wall, you know? Even if you're climbing with a partner, you, you're, you're apart yeah. most of the day, yeah. which is something no one ever kind of gets, about. but yeah, but you're really not together very often. Yeah. And, and the, the bouldering thing is like a very social thing, and, and the yeah. social thing, at the cliff or at the boulder would probably extend into hanging out at night or in exactly. boulder and things like that. Yeah, and at that age, you really, really crave those social environments. You know, mm-hmm. you're still figuring out who you are as a person mm-hmm. and you're still, um, you know, just kind of understanding the world and whatnot and, and, and having that social environment is, is important for, de- you know, development and whatnot in some ways. So, so what is it about that, those zones? Because um, we're really talking about the various places yeah. Uh, in the park, and then also probably was Mount Evans in that mm-hmm. area in yeah, this kind of era as well. Same era, yeah. And so is it just that that's, you've got those high boulders that are weathered and bullet, and so you, and, and cockeyed, so they're steep? <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, I, that, mean, I mean, because there's, yeah. there's a physical element to, or a geological element to why there's so much hard climbing in yeah. those areas. Yeah, I mean, if if we're talking just about the park, it's a complete anomaly, Chaos Canyon, because mm-hmm. it's it is filled with just thousands of boulders, and all the rock in that canyon is essentially bullet, and it's there's there's not a ton of boulders with like massive features on it, but everything is pretty featured, mm-hmm. so that lends itself to a lot of lines and a lot of hard lines because you've got a lot of small in-cut holds or smaller holds um, and everything, most things have features on it. So you've got a ton of potential for, for climbing. It's not like you walk into a, like a, like a giant granite zone or whatever, this has got a bunch of blank faces everywhere. It's like the underside of all the roofs have holds on it. Like right. the sides of everything have little holds, but they're not big holds. They're not like these huge chicken heads that you might find in Rocklands, because Rocklands is filled with rock, but most of it is actually too juggy to actually be fun to climb on, because right. of these easy, giant yeah. chicken heads everywhere. So the park was this perfect blend of having featured rock, a lot of it, really high quality and most of the holds are small so and that's and that's why it was conducive to to Mm -hmm. hard bouldering okay and it's probably one of the most conducive places to hard bouldering in the entire world um, for those types of lines right and was can i ask you an access question yeah about this and ongoing you guys are probably infiltrating you know at first but you know when you guys started bouldering up there on mass was there any sort of concern from the park about uh, just having so many people up in this place that they weren't used to having people. And, and I know there's been problem with pad stashing and all that sort of thing. And I didn't necessarily want to get into that specifically, but just, uh, 
I can imagine there was some sort of surprise when, you know, there's this place that very few people had ever gone, and all of a sudden there's just these pad people marching in and out of it all the time. Was there any pushback from the park or any concern or anything like that? I was lucky enough that when I started climbing there, it hadn't become a big enough destination that that was really a big issue. Mm -hmm. When I, the first, say, four or five years that I climbed in the park, I really wouldn't see many other people bouldering up there. Mm -hmm. It was me and the crew of people that I was with, or or if we did see people up there, it was people that we knew that were already going to be up there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It wasn't like this free-for-all like it is now. Um, there was no guidebook. If, if you didn't know where to go and, and where the problems were, you, you weren't going to be able to get up there and do anything. So, yeah, because it's just um, a jumbled field of... It's just a massive field yeah, of boulders. So you don't know where anything is. Right. There's no real trails up there or anything right. like that. So it's completely wild. So early on, that wasn't really a concern because we didn't really feel like there were very many people up there. You know, We, we were just like... Like, why should we be concerned about this? We're the only people doing anything. And, I mean, that's changed over the years, you know, the last decade or, or you know, or so since I started climbing up there. Um, it, it's changed. And I was gone for a few years, so I didn't climb up there for a few years because I was traveling internationally and going to other areas. Um, and, and the guidebook came out, and now there's a lot more people up there. So we are more concerned about the access now than we were in the okay. past. There wasn't much concern then about what was going on. We knew it was an accepted use of the space. The rangers knew what we were doing, but they didn't really really know much about it, um, mm-hmm. like they do now, at least. So um, as far as access goes, that just wasn't a concern starting off. Okay. So. Yeah. It's just been... We were also, you know, I was 21 years old, right. you know, like, like when I think of rangers at that time, you know, I, I remember rangers hassling us in Yosemite and shit. So the first thing you want to do with a ranger is flip them off and, right. and do, go do your thing. Like, don't bother me. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, so, totally. and that's me as a, you know, an early 20 year old, you know, that's how we all were in that way. But as I've grown up, I've, I've become a lot more aware of the, those potential access issues and things like that. So. Yeah. I was just curious. I, you know, I've guided up there for years, so I've climbed in the park um, just as, as, you know, a rock climber, as a yeah. rope climber for, for years and years and years. And, and I just know, like, the kind of stick-in-the-mud ways of the National Park Service. And yeah. I was just, I've always been curious if, if uh, it was more like, or at some point, they must have been like, well, gosh, what's, what's going on here, you know? Or, like, yeah, yeah. pretty soon they start to notice the pad people, like, marching back and forth. I think it was a slow, it was a slow, right, okay. low, slow yeah. progression, right. where eventually they were like, okay, there's enough of these guys that we need to start having some discussions about mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't in those early discussions right. about okay. that stuff. I gotcha. wasn't super aware of it. Right on. I am more tapped in now, which right. is nice. So. Right, right. Yeah, okay, well, that's cool. I was, you know, as a non-boulder, as people who yeah. are out there listening to as to why that place suddenly it's all we kind of hear about in hard yeah. bouldering, you know, yeah, in, in the sure. U.S. Uh, seeing as, yeah, I mean, it's also, you know, Waco had its day and these places all have their day. So um, it's curious that, that it just, it has to work out geologically. It geologically it has yeah. to work out. It's yeah. really rare to find problems that are consistently that hard. Yeah, that you don't zone. just rip the holds off. Or yeah, whatever, you know, exactly. or they're not, or they're smooth because granite obviously can be terribly smooth, like totally. uh, Yosemite. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you have a forty-five degree boulder in Yosemite, there's probably not a problem on it. Probably not because there's nothing there. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, cool. Um, so let's let's uh, you, you've expanded since then because I know you've been coming over um, and climbing at the fortresses just in my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and you've you know again your the bouldering is definitely the first thing that. I think career-wise, people think of, uh, but 
you've continued to climb on a rope. Yeah. And sport climbing seems to be sort of back in your wheelhouse. Yeah. In terms of rope climbing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, sport climbing is back in the in the wheelhouse for sure. Like, I, I love roping up. Um, I love sport climbing even more so. I love going trad climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've. I think that I reached a point um, in, I think it was like right around 2012, 2013, where um, I had my best year in bouldering, where I was able to do multiple V15s and a handful of V14s in in one season, Mm -hmm. Um, which at the time was a big deal to to do that, much hard climbing in one season. Um, And it still is like a big deal to do that, although people are climbing like slightly harder now. But I reached this moment where I I felt like I had reached the capability in bouldering that I could project pretty much any established boulders in the world and with the right amount of time, which wasn't a huge window of time, probably do them. And, And that's not trying to be cocky. It was just like I felt confident in my own abilities at that time, but I didn't really see the point of continuing to just chase these boulder problems around the world. The the experience of going bouldering and projecting a boulder problem and and projecting these individual moves, these really, really hard moves, just it didn't it just didn't inspire me as much as it originally did when I started bouldering really, really hard. Um, and I what I decided at that time was that I wanted to take my strengths in bouldering and apply them to bigger objectives, objectives mm-hmm. that had inspired me from the very beginning, which were trad climbing and walls and hopefully at some point, you know, alpine and peaks and stuff like that. And, um, and, that's, and that's kind of where I've transitioned or been working on transitioning into now. Um, and sport climbing is a part of that. I want to take the bouldering strength and apply it to sport climbing, but also take those sport climbing abilities and transfer them into to hard trad and, and, and walls and things like that. Because I feel like that those are the zones that um, have the most um, uh, room for progression right now. For you. For me. Right. And I think in the sport even. I think that, I mean, we're seeing progression in sport climbing, and I think there's plenty of room for progression there too. Um, but there's not that much room for progression in bouldering, in my opinion. Right. And and that may that's my opinion. That may be that can be argued to the death with a lot of people. Um, but I just didn't see it at the time, and I still don't see it that there's a ton of room for progression with the current capabilities of of of, of humans. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Without some evolution. Without some evolution, or, or that's or really slow. The right people with right. the right abilities or maybe new shoe technology or who knows. I mean, the other thing is it's really, 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 really rare to find a problem that is perfectly possible, but hard enough that it's at that right. next level. No, no, and that, it's, that's a concept that I've tried to explain to people, but it's a really tricky one. Yeah. Because to, to, it goes for hard sport climbing as well. Totally. Like a, a stretch of rock that's not too hard, yep. but it's also not too easy. Yeah becomes just more and more rare until yeah. until people start manufacturing yeah. them which is still mostly taboo in both the sports yeah um so yeah it's just right there's like it's just, and, and for me it was like do i want the right person has yeah. to know where it is and find it totally, and, project totally. it. and for yeah. me it was like do i want to spend the rest of my climbing career and potentially life searching for a 10 foot tall boulder that progresses the sport or do I want to be 18 or whatever, or whatever it is, yeah. you know, like, do I want to spend that time finding <laughs> right, that right. little thing out there? Mm-hmm. 
or do I want to apply these strengths that I have right now and these abilities to to walls that I already know exist mm-hmm. with a shit ton of potential for progression? Because right. places like Yosemite and um, you know in the Alps even and in uh, this the High Sierra and stuff like that, I think there's a ton of possibilities for for pairing hard bouldering with these walls mm-hmm. to progress that sport. Whether you go to Pakistan, whether you go to the Patagonia or whatever, and 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 I hope to to progress to the point where I can make imp- you know a progression in those styles of climbing with the capabilities that I have. You know, what kind of steps have you made towards that so far? Right now, uh, trad climbing a lot more and doing mm-hmm. more big wall stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I climbed the North Face of the Eiger a couple of years ago, right? Um, via a, I mean a sport route. It wasn't like it was in the summer. We weren't ice climbing or anything like that. That was that was a good learning progression for me wasn't physically super hard but the logistics of it and the environment are something you got to get used to you know like 25 pitches or something like that um and just a variety of different zones i've been trad climbing a ton on the diamond um just getting used to the alpine environment and uh getting my systems in order and figuring out how light i can take it and getting more comfortable um climbing further and further above gear and cracks and and whatnot um and i've been climbing in yosemite a ton the last three or four years i've been climbing in yosemite three months out of the year um usually october november december Mm -hmm. um, pretty much the last three four years now um and there i've been working on i I meant i've been meaning to get on some walls some bigger walls to try and free climb Cap, but um i could never really find partners to line up with the time that i was there um, or, and, and it's hard to find partners for that type of stuff. I mean, if you're really looking to free climb that shit, you got to have some dedicated partners and, and that can be really rare to find. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the process of looking for that, I started trying meltdown, um, about oh, right. years ago and I've put a ton of work into that. And two years ago I was able to top rope it clean. Like that's the Beth Rodden route, the right? The Beth Rodden route. Yeah. Yeah. How um, sick is that? that she amazing, did that. Man. Yeah. It's that long it ago. Continually blows yeah, my mind. That's awesome. That she pulled that thing off. <laughs> that's not, awesome. not that Beth isn't like an absolutely amazing climber, but yeah. I think it is one of the, the greatest achievements of the early two thousands in rock climbing. And I think that a lot of people don't think about it that way. Well, she was under, she was under Tommy's shadow a bit. A little you know? bit. Yeah. And so I think that people, Maybe not even consciously, but kind of, kind of like yeah. assumed it had something to do with that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, unfortunately yeah. for her, because totally. it's, it's it's an individual achievement that yeah. she did, and the and fact that it, it's yeah. unrepeated, right? Unrepeated. Yeah. yeah. It's it's an astounding thing that just it definitely went a little under the radar. It did, and I mean, it was on the was. cover of magazines, and yeah. it was a real rock piece about it. But people don't still have that in their perception thinking mm-hmm. about it, and it's it's been almost 10 years now I think so like 14C or something yeah exactly and and it's really fucking hard it's heinous it's no joke took me two years to stand on the footholds to just stand on the feet and and the other misperception about it is that people think that it was a finger size thing like oh like the only reason she did it is because she has small fingers and that could not be more wrong really in terms of this route it's it the crack is too thin for anyone that's that's what I had I had always thought and it's offset you're face climbing the crack. It's a Basically, seam. Yeah, right. The crack is there for placing protection. The climbing is is mostly on this offset crimper mm-hmm. um, of, of the crack the whole way. There's a couple jams here and there, but um, it's really good climbing. It's really delicate climbing. It, it requires really hard bouldering. It requires a good head. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to be really good at placing gear. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it. I, I, 
I, I would like to say that I would have finished it by now, um, but unfortunately the weather has been crap the last year, um, and it's been wet pretty much since the time that I was trying to lead it until, uh-huh. until now. Uh-huh. So um, this last year I was headed back for a few months to try and finish it up, and um, because of the waterfall was so close to it, it didn't dry out for all of last fall, okay. which is the only time to climb on it. Because right. in the spring there's too much runoff. And in the fall you gotta find this perfect window between the summertime heat and when the rains start or right. um, snow starts in the high country. Right. Um, so you need the waterfall to be dried up, but um, you need to be cold enough to actually be able to stick to the mm-hmm. wall, which is a strange thing. So there's only really a window of a couple weeks in the fall that it can actually be doable, unless you have a really, really dry winter, which wasn't the case last year. Um, but I also started trying magic, I tried magic line um, this last year instead. Um, and got really close to that thing as well. So I, I have those things to focus on right now mm-hmm. um, in terms of progressing my trad abilities and whatnot and getting my head in order and, and understanding what it's like to climb on that kind of rock. But once those are complete, I, I do look forward to kind of moving more into the, the walls. And What you said about finding partners, it made me think about the fact that, yeah, you had this cohort, you know, for a decade almost, and and you are moving to this new thing and not necessarily being able to kind of move into it with any of those folks. Yeah. You know, because you'd have they would have to have a very specific and similar goal. Yeah. In climbing that you have. Yeah. So all my friends are not interested. Basically, right. Yeah. Which yeah. is strange. I was just thinking. Yeah. I mean, it's cool in a way because now I'm exposed to a whole different community that mm-hmm. I can get to know or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but starting off with that, it's it's hard. Yeah. It's like making friends in a new school. You know, right. <laughs> like it's essentially what you're doing. It's like which can be really difficult. And mm-hmm. and as I've gotten older, I think I have a harder time doing that. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I don't I don't being on a. a being highlighted as an athlete and having people know you without knowing them sure. has been a really odd concept for me to understand okay. and, and, to, and to comprehend personally um, because I feel like people are able to make judgments about you without actually meeting you. Mm-hmm. And that's been hard for me to understand and to kind of take in and, and be okay with. And it makes me a little bit more shy than I think I would normally be because when I meet people, I don't know what their perception of me is before having even met them. And I feel like it can kind of set you up unfairly um, in your first interactions with people because you don't know what that perception is. Like, I don't know what you've heard about me or what you've read about me or seen an inter- like seen um, a video of me somewhere that maybe got, gave you the wrong impression of who I am, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been hard for me to understand that. So it, and, and, and kind of take that in and deal with it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it harder for me to go out and like make friends and be like as open in the climbing world, I think. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I've always felt the 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 same thing from the other direction. I mentioned yeah. that earlier, earlier that like well, because bouldering was a cool thing to do, like it had nothing to do with me. Yeah, I was more talking about you know the typical yeah, yeah, age yeah. thing, like yeah, yeah, you know just, the thirty five or totally, totally. forty year old guy is not like there with his hat on sideways, <laughs> or if he is, he looks like a fucking idiot. Headphones, you know? no shirt, yeah, with exactly. the bouldering patch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, not that I just insulted a bunch of forty year old boulders. <laughs> Apologize, um, but I sometimes do feel like there is a there is like a perceived eth like gap in the ethos of yeah. like what that scene is like. Yeah. Um, you know, pretty overtly com- competitive, like wall climbing, all that stuff's competitive, but it's, it's always been less of like more one upsmanship kind yeah. of little bit competitive, yeah. not like in your face kind of thing. Totally. Um, have you felt that? Is that the judgment you're getting at all from people like, Oh, you were one of those loudmouth boulders, like, or whatever. 
Uh, I haven't gotten that from like sure. the, the. I mean, people have mostly been like receptive. You know, mm-hmm. like a lot of people kind of are just like I, I don't like they don't really believe that you're committed. To okay, with it, I get it. You know? Yeah, okay. I'm not going climbing on El Cap to like prove something. You know, sure. or I'm not going to try these trad lines to prove something about about myself. You know, I'm here because like. It's something different, and I like it. I like doing something different, you mm-hmm. know? And, like, I have fun with that kind of challenge or whatever. And, like, I'm not spraying about that shit. I'm not spraying about going and trying those things. I think most people probably don't even know that I've tried those routes, right, you know? Right. And it's like, it, that doesn't bother me, man. I disappear for a couple of months, try my mm-hmm. thing, you know? And it's like, I do what I want to do, you know? It's like, right. so I, I haven't felt that perception. It's, it's been mainly just as, like, and maybe it's my sensitivity just sure. to the general public of uh-huh. climbers. That it's like, I don't know. I mean, I've just heard people be like, I've heard stuff from people um when i like show up at gyms or whatever and i'm like looking to train or whatever and and people have been like yeah that carlo's kind of a dickhead or whatever because he shows up to train at the gym he doesn't talk to anybody you know what i mean like i've heard that from right. people just been like yeah people think you're not really that friendly because you like you don't really talk to people at the gym and right. things like that and it's like well how often do you go up to random people and talk to them at the gym and it's like most people are like i never do that right. you know and it's like well why do you expect that of me you know and it's like i i gotta get my training in too and sometimes mm-hmm. i don't have a lot of time i just right. want to show up at the gym and like get a workout and get the right. hell out you know it's so i'm not there to like but it's official all the time give give carla a fucking break everybody like come <laughs> I'm on i'm asking for a break i'm just saying that that's something that i'm like sensitive sure to nowadays, I got you. you know like i do feel like i when i go into gyms i don't want people to think i'm like a dick like okay. I, I want I want I want like I'm a nice person like I'm, <laughs> I'm approachable you know okay cool like sometimes I'm trying to like you know I have my plan and I'm trying to do, get shit done but like I don't know like I don't want that perception sure <laughs> I'm no, sensitive to it I'm not saying it's like... anyone's fault you know <laughs> I'm not complaining about ab- about it you know no what I no mean? I'm, not, I'm just saying I'm sensitive to it yeah and 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 I don't think that that um that side of of a of a a known climber's, you know, perception of things is is explained sometimes because I know a lot of friends of mine or whatever too, or, or or other you know people that are known in the climbing world have felt that way as well, and I don't think people see that as much. Oh sure, so. no no, I mean the, yeah. I understand it because we do have a celebrity culture in climbing, mm-hmm. and on this podcast, and I believe this too, I find it really cool the fact that like our best celebrity climbers you know we still can hang out with them we can still climb at the same craigs with them this isn't this isn't nba basketball totally you know i can climb on the same routes that you climb on absolutely your warm-ups or whatever you know that's like the typical response but uh but at the same time we have this celebrity culture and and people i know do a, some of them are nervous about talking to pro climbers or yeah. like if Lynn Hill's there, you know, I know plenty of women that are just like, I couldn't, I couldn't say anything to her, you know, <laughs> I'm falling apart, you know, and, and that's Lynn Hill. So that's like a yeah. big deal. But, and I've always just said, well, no, I mean, it's just Lynn Hill. Like she's really nice and yeah, she's really sure. sweet. But the fact is, is that Lynn can come across the same way too of yeah. like, she's do she's here to climb and like, like, let's leave her alone. Totally. So I, I am, uh, and I'm like, you know, I have this like one foot in both worlds with this podcast and my coming back and reporting to somebody that like Tommy Caldwell's a super nice guy. That still doesn't mean that they're going to approach them. Yeah. At the yeah. Crag. And be a really nice guy. Well, but uh, because also people are, they can be like, well, I don't want to, you know, mess with them because they're out here climbing and having a good time. Yeah. But the, the dark side of that is the other thing, which is the, you know, kind of this weird resentment that people have towards professional climbers. Yeah, totally. And it can kind of both go both yeah. ways. There's the fan people who are like, 
you know, oh my God, that's him. And there's the, ah, fuck that guy. Like, you know, he yeah. thinks he's so cool or because he's got what, a couple shoe sponsors or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, I understand. Like, you're not, you're not just a normal climber when you're a, a public figure and a pro totally. climber. Yeah. But you kind of want to be now. At the same time, I mean, you want people to know that, like, if you are, if you're, you're, you're out climbing, you're just a climber, like they. Totally, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I I would never want people to think that just because I get paid to do this, that Mm -hmm. I'm, that my climbing and and my time at a crag is more important than theirs. Sure. And that's it's really really important for people to understand that. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like, like our ability and our chances to go get on climbs and 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 our time climbing is is just as valuable no matter who we are. Right. Whether you're a nine to five and a weekend warrior or you're a pro climber, you know. And honestly, I'd say that in a lot of ways, I'm sensitive to the fact that the people that have less free time to go climbing, their climbing time is a lot more important in some ways than my climbing. Right. Is, yeah, you know, because I desperate. Have, yeah. Like I have, you know, like they should they should have the priority to be able to, you know, to get the time on the routes that they want and stuff like that ahead of me. And I'm sensitive to that. Yeah. You know, like I see that, and I'm like. I want people to be able to experience that more, you know? Like, I want to see mm-hmm. those people be able to achieve their goals and whatnot. Yeah, I remember that when, like, Bob from accounting is gearing up a little meltdown. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to give it a burn, just Carl. Give just give it a quick burn. Just like a slow I, aid of it. <laughs> like, I just really want to aid climb this thing. Well, let me finish up here and ask yeah. you uh, the question. You, 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 at some point, you mentioned... Um, it was a few years ago your mom stopped asking you like what are you gonna do with your life yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. How, how does how's that all sitting now with the with the, it's good now yeah yeah it i is? mean i my i think it took a long time but um i mean both my parents now are really really supportive of what mm-hmm. i do and um and i mean I, I i'm really lucky to have that support system for sure um and they both have a better understanding of what it means to, to do my job and um, to be a professional climber. And, um, and even though, obviously, none of us are making an absolute killing or making a ton of money or whatever, um, they've seen that I'm able to sustain um, a, a, a solid lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. and, and support myself in a, in a respectable way within the profession that I chose, you know. And, um, and that's cool. I think that's great. It's, it, it's come a long way f- for me personally. And um, I hope that, you know, more younger climbers um, get a lot more support early on um, uh, so that they can achieve those, those g- dreams, you know, mm-hmm. um, as things progress. Do, do, do you still climb with your brother? Yeah, I climb with my brother a ton. Yeah. Okay, cool. He still climbs a lot, too. He's still a total dirt Have you guy. been able to kind of <laughs> pull him into these bigger ideas at all? A little still? bit. My brother's a little bit more like scattered in okay. his ways. Um, right. Super passionate about climbing. Insanely strong climber. Um, and he's just a little bit more scattered about his like goals and, and how he prepares for things. Um, that's not to take anything away from what he does. He's um, he's he's What's really his talented. Name? Giovanni. Giovanni. Yeah, another super Italian name. Nice. Giovanni Chavio Traversi. <laughs> Chavio? Chavio is his middle name. Okay. So, <laughs> not a mountain. Not a mountain. All right. No, but he actually his he's named after a little town in Switzerland that um, our ancestors came from. Okay. It's actually like in this valley called Val Bavona that has a shit ton of climbing in it. But uh, but yeah, he's still climbing a ton. I get to see him a decent amount. And, Good. Yeah, it's cool. Right on. Well, thanks for sitting down. Thank you. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been I, fun. I, had, I didn't know any of this stuff about you either. <laughs> cool, man. Well, so. I'm glad I could shed some light on where I'm from, what I do. It's Good. been a great chat, and I appreciate it.
All right, folks, how about that? Carlo Traversi, everybody. Got some serious dirtbag street cred, that guy. I mean, that takes some courage. Let yourself run out of money. Nothing left in your bank account on purpose. I don't think I could do that. I think my dad screwed me up with all these Calvinistic notions of hard work and all that bullshit. But luckily for you, it keeps me doing this podcast. And if you dig it, remember you can support it. Go to normacast.com, click on the Help Out tab, and uh, do what you can to keep the word getting out there to climbers that have never heard of this, have never heard of podcasting. They live in some dark cave in the Adirondacks or something, and they just don't know about technology. Get the word out. Make their lives better with technology. It always makes your life better. Technology always makes things better. Man, it is so delicious here in Colorado right now. Just cooling off day by day. Leaves are turning. The winds of autumn are blowing. It's incredible out there. I hope it's a delicious feast for the climbing senses where you are too. But don't get distracted by all that beauty. Keep it safe out there. Stay on point. And of course, check your knot. A lot of things about me you don't know anything about, Daddy. Things you wouldn't understand. Things you couldn't understand. Things you shouldn't understand. I don't understand. (laughs) 